Thank you for checking out the Warehouse Church Podcast. We would love to connect with you. Take a moment and visit us at warehousechurch.com. Wherever you are, we hope this message encourages you today. Now, here's Pastor Ed. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you in the house today. We'd like to thank our Spanish ministry for being here with us today. They're going to be dismissed and head over to the room on the right. But give it up for all of our Spanish church folks. Many of our Spanish uh, church leaders uh, were here this week helping out with our kids' programming. And uh, we, we certainly don't want to ask them to leave because we don't want them here. But you're going to hear some good Spanish preaching today from our uh, Pastor Charlie Bell. And he's excited about the message today and what they're going to be uh, doing this morning. So as, as Kim told you earlier, and as Tara was reporting to you, that had a great week this week. We had nine kids invite Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior this week. Very excited about that. And our workers, we wanted to leave up some of the atmosphere uh, that they had uh, this morning uh, so you could kind of see what they were doing. But I uh, appreciate all the workers and everybody that helped out this week. Uh, such, a, such a great success. It was neat to see all of our kids uh, having some fun this week. Well, we're starting a new series today called Heroes, Going from the Ordinary to the Extraordinary. And I want to talk to you today, uh, kind of a, a little bit of a different story, but um, I want you to think about who your favorite superhero is. If you saw that video just a minute ago, Superman, of course, is one of the most recognizable, uh, compelling superheroes that, uh, that, that certainly people uh, recognize from uh, different languages, nations, and so on and so forth. Um, summer's kind of known as a time for superhero movies. Yesterday I went and saw a kind of a quasi-superhero movie. Uh, I saw the, the new Planet of the Apes movie, and I was telling somebody about that yesterday, and, and this is what the person said to me in response. Are they still making Planet of the Apes movies? You know, and maybe you would feel that way, but maybe you would say, yeah, I'm going to go see that movie. It was really, really good, and I would highly recommend it to you if you're a moviegoer. Uh, but we, we really enjoyed, went to see that with one of my buddies yesterday and really enjoyed doing that. Uh, but there's another superhero movie that I saw this summer that I really liked. Has anybody seen the new movie Wonder Woman? Raise your hand up in the air. <laughs> wow, Gary really, really liked it, okay. <laughs> but I, I saw it, you know, and I'm going to tell you, uh, went and saw it with Kim, uh, my wife. She didn't want to go see it. Uh, but I kind of, you know, she made me go see this really girl sappy cry. Everybody loves each other at the end movie. So she went and saw Wonder Woman movie with me. And I liked it a lot. You know, not, you know I, I want to tell you why I liked it. I don't want you to draw any conclusions about outfits and, you know, different things like that. But it was really actually a very, very good movie that, we, that I enjoyed. She didn't like it that much. But uh, one of the reasons I liked it, of course, being a dad of girls, I like that girl power stuff. I like to tell my girls all the time, yes, you can. You, have, you can do so much more than the world tells you you can do. And I really like to empower them. And he, and, and encourage them to go beyond what, what, is, what is the norm. But, you know, one of the reasons I liked that movie so much was because I think my wife is Wonder Woman. Uh, she, in, in my life, I'm not in trouble. I'm being truthful with you this morning. Uh, she has superhero status uh, in my life. I think it's interesting when, uh, when moms that have kids have a second kid knowing what the first kid felt like. That's hero status. Somebody say amen to that, okay? 
my wife is also, uh, you know, she's just, um, she is just such a great mom and an unbelievable, she's kind of the grandmom whisperer. All of our girls have these plans to give their babies to my wife for their first year because Kim is just, uh, just an amazing mom, and she really is uh, such a great caregiver. But I'm going to tell you one of the other reasons that she has superhero status to me. Uh, we have workers at our house. We're having our kitchen done this uh, last couple weeks. And one of the, they, ha they keep having to move the, the refrigerator back and forth because they're going around it, putting tile and fixing the back wall, and they put some cabinets up and stuff. And every day they come in, these, these two workers would get on both sides of our refrigerator and move it out about four feet so they could get behind the wall. And then later in the day, I would see that refrigerator back, and I said to Kim, wow, it was really great that they put that back for us so that we could kind of live somewhat of a normal life. She said, no, I put it back by herself. My 110-pound wife moves that refrigerator by herself, and I look at that and say, man, because when I get behind it, I kind of have to put my whole force behind it to move that refrigerator. She just moves it. Uh, we were in Home Depot a couple weeks ago, and Home Depot sells these discs, and these are just amazing. These plastic discs with foam on the inside that you, that you use to move your furniture. How many of you have seen those, okay? Pretty ingenious idea if you think about it. My wife, I, went, I said to my wife, I said, hey, maybe we should get those because she constantly is moving our furniture all around the house. Once a month, all of our furniture will be moved somehow or another. And she's unbelievable. And I said, hey, let's get these discs to make it easier for you to move furniture. And this is what she said. They're for wimps. I mean, it's just because she just doesn't have any trouble. You know, you know something that would take me all day and I'd get, you know, multiple levels of frustration with. She just does it really with a snap of a finger. And I'm very amazed by that. But there's just something about superheroes. You know, we watch those. You know, if you read comic books as kids or saw some of the superhero movies younger, and even the ones that come out now, there's just something compelling about superheroes. One of the things compelling about them is their, you know, extraordinary strength. You know, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound like Superman uh, and, 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 and different superhero powers that you would see. Well, another thing compelling about superheroes is, is that they lay their lives down. There's like the sacrificial side of them where they're willing to, to, to give everything that they have uh, for the benefit of other people. Another thing about, uh, about superheroes that's just unbelievable is in these movies that, that we watch, there's something happens where they save the day. Wonder Woman saves the day for World War I, you know, and, and, and just did this, this bigger-than-life act to, to, to save a lot of people's lives. Uh, of course, Superman, every movie that he's in. I, uh, it, it's kind of funny if you've seen uh, Superhand, Superman movies way back when Christopher Reeves was Superman. Uh, one of the, I think it was the first or second Superman movie, Christopher Reeves uh, flies down to save Lois Lane, and Lois Lane was dead, right? If you remember the scene, Lex Luger created some kind of bomb to make California go into the ocean so that uh, the middle of the United States would now be the West Coast, right? And he bought all that land. And he didn't get there in time. And he's holding Lois Lane, and he loves Lois Lane. Personally, the first Lois Lane, I kind of thought Superman could have done a little bit better than that, but that's okay, it was fine. But he's holding Lois Lane, and he starts to cry, and he gets really, really mad, right? Do you remember this? He flies up in the air, and then he starts to circle the whole world backwards 
to make the, the earth's rotation change direction. And he goes, a bunch of times, changes direction, comes back down. The earth starts going back the right way again. And he just, you know, kind of glides down to Lois Lane with his cape up in the air. Floop, floop. And she says, Clark, where have you been, Superman? I was almost in trouble, this, this, and this. And he saves the day. You know, and you watch that and you go, man, that is just so awesome. I would love to be able to save the day like that for somebody and, and be able to be a superhero for somebody. Well, we're going to talk about a story today that Jesus told in the New Testament. And this superhero status that seems very unattainable to us mere mortal beings, you know, Jesus makes very attainable with one statement that he makes at the end of this story that he shares. So I'm going to invite your attention with me to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 25 uh, down through uh, verse 37. And we're going to talk about this story called the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, 25, the, the Word of God says this. On an occasion, an expert in the law, he was a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus, and that's important to understand. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, to understand kind of the backdrop of this guy, this guy, of course, was a lawyer, and he starts to ask Jesus this question. And, and you know this from your personal life experiences and maybe even from watching Law and Order, dun-dun, you know, when you've seen some, some courtroom drama. When a lawyer asks a question in that kind of a setting, it's a leading question. He wants you to give an answer. She wants you to give an answer so that he or she can ask, ask the next question, trying to direct the conversation. That's what this lawyer was trying to do. He was trying to direct Jesus into an answer that he wanted Jesus to give to prove a point that he was trying or she was trying to make, okay? So this lawyer asks this question, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? Now Jesus, who was the ultimate example of cultural relevance, spoke his language and answered his question with a question. He knew lawyer talk. He knew what the lawyer was trying to do. So he answered, and, and my mom used to say that to me all the time. My mom's not a lawyer, but she, I, I think she could have been. But my mom used to say that to me all the time. She'd say, Eddie, why did you come in late last night? And I would say to my mom, how did you know I came in late? She said, you answered my question with a question. I just want an answer. I'd say, yes, Your Honor. I mean, yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, you know. So my mom would ask me questions like that. And that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus started to kind of speak back into this, this person who knew the law, this person who was a lawyer, and he said, well, what is, what's the law teach you? I mean, you're a lawyer. You know the gig. You know the deal. What, is, what, is the, what does the law say? Jesus knew his heart, and he was uh, speaking in, into his language. So he said, how do you read it? Verse 27 says, and this is the lawyer, answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is pretty significant. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gives a, a, a kind of an, an over, uh, like an umbrella law to all the other laws that were spoken of, 600 and some laws given in the Old Testament uh, in the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Moses kind of gives this blanket statement that is supposed to be relevant to every law that's ever been written, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he gives some 
some reasons and some kind of practical applications of how you're supposed to remember that. He said, write it on the gates in front of your house. Put it above your door when you're about to go in. And then he even says this, write it on the inside of your eyelids. Now, I don't know anybody. I've seen some weird tattoos. Somebody sent me a a tattoo article this week. There's a new tattoo uh, craze that's going around right now. You know what it is? Underarm tattoos. Underarm tattoos. Now, for those of you that have tattoos, okay, we're not going to point you out this morning. We love people to have tattoos. We Some even love tattoos. That's great. Can you imagine getting a tattoo in your underarm pit? The, the article somebody from our church sent me showed a lady who had roses. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm telling you, roses, tattoos put in her underarm so that her underarms smelled like roses. But it really is true. It was a picture that I saw, not a tattoo that I would recommend, Okay. But um, so anyway, it says Jesus, I mean, Moses told them to even get that written on the inside of your eyelids. He said, man, what, what, that sounds kind of strange. Who would get something tattooed on the inside of their eyelids? The point was, everything you do, everything you are, everywhere you go, whatever you're involved in, don't forget that God loves you and you're supposed to love him with all your heart. That was the point. But then in Leviticus, it shares a phrase in Leviticus 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these were separate passages of Scripture. In Leviticus, when it says, love your neighbor as yourself, Moses was teaching the children of Israel how to treat fellow Jewish people, their neighbors. He was teaching them about when you have a conflict, you deal with it face-to-face. When this happens, you do that. You don't harm one another. He gave all these laws because there was no law that they were living by except for what they knew from Egyptian culture, which a lot of that culture was very secular and was wrong. And, and, of course, God was instituting this, this, this new rules, these new laws for his new nation, the children of Israel. So in one passage of Scripture, he says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Leviticus, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus Christ in the, in the Gospels, in a few chapters earlier, puts these two passages of Scripture together. This, this lawyer was probably there when this happened because it kind of stirred the hearts and minds of the Pharisees who knew the law really well. They were saying, oh, wait a minute, Jesus is adding stuff to to Scripture here. We're not supposed to do that. He says he's a teacher. He says he's an expert. But these two passages aren't together. But the principles were the same. And that's a great principle when you're reading the Word of God. The best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. The Word of God does not contradict itself. A lot of people like to say that it does. Well, this happened over here and this happened over here. Why did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have such different perspectives of the life and the works and the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were four different guys with four different backgrounds and saw it from four different angles, and there are no conflicts whatsoever in the Word of God. Okay, So Jesus puts these two passages of Scripture together. This lawyer hears of it maybe a few days, a few weeks, a few months earlier when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the lawyer now. He's thinking, all right, I think I got him back against the back against the ropes where I where I want back against the ropes where I want him. Jesus answered him and said, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So here's the lawyer again. He wanted to justify himself. So he says to Jesus, Who's my neighbor? I get to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I get that. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? I've got to have an all-inclusive love for God if I'm going to have eternal life. 
what's this deal about loving my neighbor as myself? So now, now understand some things here that are taking place. In the next couple chapters, Jesus meets a guy named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector who was hated by everybody because he was a dishonest and a crooked tax collector. And he was a Jew, and he was uh, embezzling money for himself. He was allowed to do it. It was legal in the Roman system, but it was immoral according to the Word of God. He was allowed to collect taxes and add whatever kind of uh, penalties and, 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 and principle and so on and so forth as long as he got the money. He got rich off of this. Jesus met him. And then later when, when salvation came to Zacchaeus' house, the Pharisees said about Jesus, what kind of man is this that he's even a friend to sinners and tax collectors? Now, if you're a tax collector that's in our building this morning, we love you. Okay, and like you probably, we don't like paying taxes either. But here's the thing, okay. These, uh, these Pharisees, these lawyers, these, these teachers, these keepers of the law, keepers of the Jewish faith, if you will, were testing Jesus because they were trying to find a place where he would contradict himself because they didn't believe that he was the Son of God. They didn't believe the claims that he made about his relationship with the Creator and the universe. So this guy says, wanting to justify himself, who is my neighbor? This was a huge question. He knew that the Jews were God's chosen people, and the relationship that Jews had with Jews was a very significant relationship. You know, if you hated another Jew, you hated one of God's chosen people, and that was a pretty egregious sin. You weren't supposed to hate. Jesus even said this about hate. Back, back in Matthew chapter 5, during the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in that very famous sermon that Jesus gave at the Sermon of the Mount, he said, you've heard it said in the past that it's wrong to murder. I tell you this, it's wrong to hate somebody. So all these things are going through this, this, this lawyer's mind of all these things that Jesus taught. And, and, and he was, again, trying to trip him up. So Jesus does this. He answers him in a parable, a story about people that's very real to all of us, and it's very real to all the Jews. And I guarantee you this morning, at some level or another, whether you've been saved for 50 years and then some and been going to church that you were breathing, or if you're new to church, new to Christianity, and you're saying, what in the world's going on in this place today? I guarantee you, all of you have heard the phrase before, Good Samaritan. It's a very it's a well-known phrase. Some people don't know that it's from the Bible. If you remember... Uh, for those of you that watched uh, sitcoms in the 90s, there was a show called Seinfeld. Anybody remember Seinfeld and doesn't mind, doesn't mind admitting that? I still watch Seinfeld reruns. I love Seinfeld. Seinfeld ended when, the, when George and Kramer and Elaine and Jerry, right, the last couple episodes, they got in trouble and arrested because they laughed at a guy getting mugged and did nothing and recorded it. And the reason they got in trouble was because of the Good Samaritan law. You can't see somebody getting hurt and not do anything about it. You have to make some kind of effort, as long as it doesn't bring physical harm to yourself, to help somebody out that's in trouble. So this principle, this story of the Good Samaritan is a very famous story uh, that, that, that's been taught. You understand it. You've heard it before. But we're going to look at it kind of from a different angle today and understand what, what Jesus is trying to teach this lawyer today. So let's read the story in verse 30. It says... In reply to what the lawyer was asking him, who is my neighbor, Jesus says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of clothes, beat him, and went away, 
leaving him for half dead. Now let me tell you how much Jewish people hated culturally the Samaritans. When Jesus told this story about a guy who went from Jerusalem to Jericho to do business, and as he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, he got stopped, beat up by robbers, everything was stolen from him, he was left half dead. When the Jewish people heard this story, you know what they thought? A Samaritan did that to him. Automatically thought that. Maybe because of some history, maybe because of some preconceived notions, but I'm going to tell you absolutely what it was. Nothing more, nothing less than first century racism. They just kind of drew a conclusion to themselves, and, and, and we'll understand that in just a second. And you know, we talked about that last week uh, in, 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 in my message about the, the church last week, about how we have to be so careful not to have preconceived notions about other people because of their background or their ethnicity or the way that they look or the way that they talk. But there's, listen, I, I think all of us, because we're all human beings, because we're all sinners, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has had, had trip-ups in our life. Some of us could talk about it on a daily basis if we're really being honest, right? But we have to be very careful because we see people sometimes and we kind of draw a conclusion before we even get to know them. I, I, was, I was in McAllister's the other day. And this, this big boy came in. He was a big guy. And he came in and his pants were all the way down. You know how sometimes, no, I'm going to show you my backside for a little bit, but I'm not going to show you any more than I'm showing, okay, so don't get nervous. You know how sometimes you're kind of going throughout the day and, you know, you're working and you're doing stuff and, you know, your belts really do kind of, it's, it's not because you're losing weight, I hate to tell you that. Sometimes when you have to pull another notch on your belt, it's because leather stretches. I hate to burst the bubble for you, but that's just the truth, okay. I'm sorry if you did that with your belt this morning. It may not be because you're losing weight, okay? Well, here's, here's sometimes what happens too. Sometimes when your belt gets loose, guys, what happens? Your drawers come down a little bit, right? And, and sometimes your shirt's not long enough. And sometimes people would think that perhaps maybe just to be very, you know, churchish this morning in my conversation, people may think when you lean over or when you kind of show that part of your body that you're a charter member of the plumber's union. Enough said, right? But, some, but, but there's a style that I don't understand, and this is a sure tell sign that I'm getting old, okay, where guys purposely pull their pants up to here. And, you know, this was a conversation I was having with students of my youth group 15, 18 years ago. But it's still a style. I saw it this week. Guy pulled his pants, stopped it right at the bottom of his hind end, and real tight, and the thing I don't understand, okay, you get style. Maybe there's some really cool underwear you can wear that people can see. Stretch my mind. I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to be judgmental. But the weird thing about this guy's pants that he was wearing, he was walking like this. He couldn't even get a full stride in his walk because his pants were too low. So, so you know what I did? I had an instant judgment in my mind about that. Punk. What's he doing? Who's he think he is? I'm getting ready to eat dinner. I don't want to see somebody in their drawers. You know, and I started kind of drawing conclusions. And I'm studying, listen, I've been studying this passage since last Sunday night, getting ready for my message today. And, and the Lord put it in my mind. He said, you're drawing conclusions about somebody you don't even know because of what they're wearing. But how many times do we do that with the way people talk? 
with the way people look, with the way people act, with the way people are different. You know, I was talking to a, to a vendor this week who speaks in a different language. I got frustrated because they couldn't understand my English and I couldn't understand their Spanish. And, and, and as I was getting, and I didn't verbalize my frustration, it was kind of building up inside of me. It's like the Lord said to me, I'm telling you something, I believe with all my heart the working, the daily working, the momentary working of the Holy Spirit in my life. I really do. Because it's like the Holy Spirit just said this. Because the day before I had the guy with his pants down thing, and here's the next day. And it's just like the Holy Spirit said to me, really? This is still something for you? You're still going to, you're still like that? You know, you still got to do that? So like I was on like the confession train this week. I don't know if anybody else was with me. But it felt like it was a daily thing in my life where I was saying, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. Then I get in the car and Chicago comes on. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. It just didn't stop, you know, all week long. But we draw conclusions about people we don't know. And that's, that's easy for older people, right, to do about teenagers. It's easy for us to do it about cultures that are different than us. It's easy for us to do it for people that dress differently. It's easy for people for us to do that for people to act differently, look differently, all those different things. Jesus is addressing this in the way that he's sharing the story because he does something that absolutely rocks their world. He says this. A priest went by on the same road and he saw the man. And the priest, right, religious, leader, he, they, how did they know he was a priest? Because the way, he, the way that he was dressed. He had priestly garbs on, a hat, a big ornate robe with all kind of stuff on it. The, layer, the, 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 the leadership level that he had as a priest was signified by, by the jewels and the gems and different things like that. But, but visually, they could see that this, when, that when Jesus said a priest walked by, they had a, they had a picture of what, the, oh, a priest, oh, a priest comes by, right? A priest is going by. The Bible says the priest kept on walking. And then a Levite, who's a guy that helped the priest, knew all the religious laws, knew all the religious stuff, knew that you were supposed to be religious and how to be religious and how to talk religious. You know, no, he knew all the Christian words. You know, we have a little language that we speak sometimes called Christianity that's a different language than the world. And that's not a better language, but it's kind of a weird language sometimes. We say some things in church, instead of going out and hanging out with friends, we say the word fellowship, Right? Instead of coming to church and just giving all of our attention to God, we say the word worship. And sometimes people don't understand what those things mean because they don't speak the same language, perhaps, that you do when you're talking about, you know, your church life or, or, or your church family. But Jesus, these guys had, a, had an understanding of what a priest was. And this sounds like a bad joke, doesn't it? Well, a priest and a Levite were walking down the road and da-da-da-da-da, right? It sounds like one of those bad bar jokes. And Jesus said the Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. So these two recognizable religious guys passed the guy for dead. Now, there were some reasons that, that they could justify this. Priests, Levites, weren't allowed to touch dead bodies. If they, if they perceived that he was dead, or even at the point of death, if they would have touched his body, they would have had to pronounce themselves, I'm unclean, and go through this ritualistic cleansing of their bodies that was, that was pretty substantial and spend a couple days outside of the city. There were some pretty serious laws that those priests knew about that if you touch a dead body, you're going to mess up the next five or six days of your life. You know when you see an accident on the side of the road and you, go to your, you say to yourself, maybe I should stop, maybe I shouldn't stop, but if I stop, I'm going to be here for hours answering questions. I'm probably going to have to go to court someday. 
I'm probably going to have to do this. And it's a little bit of a dilemma. Well, do I stop or not? There's other people here. Do they really need me? And that's kind of the dynamic that took place in the lives of the priest and the Levite. So Jesus does something that absolutely rocks the world of everybody listening to the story, especially, especially the lawyer. Jesus says this, but a Samaritan, <gasps> right? Remember Lion King? Remember the hyenas in Lion King? Remember the hyena named Ed in Lion King? Right? That was his name. He started talking about Mufasa. You remember that? Ooh, Mufasa. Say it again. Say it again. Mufasa. Ooh, right? And it kind of caused them to, to react to, to, to the name Mufasa. Well, when you were talking to a Jew and you were telling this Jewish folk, I don't say that to a Jew disrespectfully. I'm reading the, reading the story here out of Scripture. When Jesus said, well, then, not only did a priest look at it, walk by a Levite, a Samaritan came, and in their mind are thinking, oh, the guy that probably robbed him. He was coming to see if there was any change left over. He was coming to see if this, he was coming to see if that. A Samaritan, who, Samaritan, right? So there was a reaction to that by all that were listening. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, the Bible says that Jesus said, that he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and, and wine on, on the wound. I don't know if pouring wine on there would help as much as maybe inhaling it would. I don't know. But he poured wine on that. Then he put the man. Let's check this out. He put the man on his own donkey. You say, what's, what's the big deal with that? That means the guy walked. He was riding a donkey, saw this guy on the side of the road, tended to his wounds. He was left for dead. And then instead of maybe flinging the guy over the hind end of the donkey a little bit, maybe he had a bunch of stuff with him, he decided to let the man ride in his place on that donkey. And he walked. Now, people walked a lot in these days. You know, the, the big transportation thing was a mule, maybe a cart, if you had a lot of money, a horse. If you really had a lot of money, you had a chariot. If you had a lot, a lot, a lot of money, you had a chariot with 20-inch rims and a speaker sound system on it, right? That was the way that they would get around. But listen, listen to this. He puts the man on his donkey. This is really significant. I know you've heard the story before, but try to hear it for the first time. He, he puts the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Then the Bible says this. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And he said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense, that's the, the, any extra expense you may have. Think about this for a second. He takes him to an inn. The next day, he goes up to the innkeeper. What, what, is, what does that mean? It means he stayed the night. Wherever he was going, he stopped where he was going, and he put his full attention on taking care of this man that was left for dead. What a story. These guys are thinking kindness, kindness, kindness. Wait, it's a Samaritan. I mean, there is a moral thing going on inside of their head right now. How could a Samaritan do this? How is this even possible? That's not the Samaritans that I know. I wouldn't do that myself. He used his own resources. He helped this guy. What is Jesus talking about? This lawyer had to absolutely be spinning. Because listen, he was an educated man. He knew that the cultural differences between Jews and Samaritans. He knew that this kind of story was not a story that, that you would normally hear. 
So, so it says, and even the next day, stays all night, takes care of him, says to the innkeeper, I'm going to reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So here's the question. Here's the big, big question that Jesus asks that makes us understand and believe that hero status could actually be available or doable for you and for I. Because I could never be a hero. My life doesn't really, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a this or I'm just a that. I, I'm, I'm insignificant. I go and put my time and I take care of my family. I'm an okay dad. I guess I'm a good mom. I'm a, I'm a relatively good person. To, but I don't think I've ever done anything that saves a day, that shows superhero powers, that, that is compelling to other people to look at where I would be this great example to somebody. Jesus asked this question, which makes hero status available to all of us. And he says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man that fell into the hands of the robbers? And listen to the answer from the expert of the law. You ready? He says, the one who had mercy on him. He didn't refer to that man the same way that Jesus did. Did you catch that? Jesus said a Samaritan was going down, stopped, tended to his wounds, put him on his donkey, put him in a hotel, stayed overnight, paid any extra expenses, went above and beyond the call of duty. That guy is a neighbor is what Jesus was saying. And Jesus says, so which of these three? The priest who did nothing. He was all that in a bag of chips, but he did nothing. A Levite who had a reputation of being super religious does nothing but the Samaritan goes to all these incredible expenses to meet the need of this person that Jesus said, which of these three was the neighbor? He was so racist in his spirit, he couldn't even bring it to himself to say, the Samaritan. He called him the one. The one that showed mercy on him. And then listen to what Jesus says. You know the story. Go and do likewise. That's who you need to be like. That's what you ought to do when you see people that are in need. That's what you ought to do when you see people. You know, and we, we kind of, you know, listen, when you're going through Dallas, I was going down Harry Hines Boulevard the other day, and every time I do, because I'm a teenager at heart, I laugh. Harry Hines, isn't that just funny? I do that every time I go there. I'm sorry, I just am, okay? But I'm going down there, guy holds up a sign. I'm a disabled American vet. Haven't eaten in three days. Da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da-da. Can you help me? And you know what I do? I do the same thing you do. I wonder if that guy has a job. I wonder if he's trying. I wonder if he's working. I wonder if he's this. I wonder if he's that. I wonder if he's this. I wonder if he's that. And I try to be the judge, jury, and counsel for this guy instead of just saying, you know what? God's going to bless my gift. I'm just going to give it to him anyway. If he's stealing or being dishonest, that's between him and God. I want God to bless me because I'm generous. And we go through that dilemma in so many places in our lives today, don't we? So which of these three? Let me describe what this man did. Number one, which of these three? The one who saw a need and met it. Three people saw a need. One person met the need. Three people witnessed what this guy had gone through. One person stopped to take care of him. Secondly, the one who knew the price and paid it. The one who knew the price and paid it. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come to the warehouse church years and years to come. We're going to see people saved, kids' lives change, teenagers' lives change, moms' lives change, dads' lives change, grandmas and grandpas, 
people are going to come to know Christ as Savior. I'm going to tell you why that's going to happen. Because the people of Canyon Creek Baptist Church for years and years and years and years, and people could say this, listen, all oh, that church, I've had somebody say this before when I first came to town two years ago. Oh, that church has history. Well, guess what? Every church has history because every church has people, okay? And that's just the way that it is. But I'm going to tell you why the warehouse church is going to be able to do what it's going to do in the future. It's because of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. For people that came, sacrificed, gave, believed, gave to missions, gave their tithes, gave their offerings, gave so that people like the kids this week could hear about Jesus Christ. There was a price. Last week there was two messages preached. I preached a 35, 40-minute message, and I guess it had some impact. I hope that it did. I hope God took my foolishness and made it awesome. We had a second message that was about three minutes long, preached by Pastor Tammy Young, sitting next to her husband over here. And she got up in front of our people last week. She said, listen, y'all need to start giving. And as soon as she said that, everybody went, what? You know? And I'm in the back of my mind going, go Tammy. Go Tammy. It's your birthday. Go Tammy. I'm, going, I'm all pumped up. Preachers love to hear other people talk about that kind of stuff, right? So listen, if you can't tithe, give $10 a week. You need to give so this church can reach people, so this church can do this. Y'all need to do something for the kingdom of God. This is about kingdom building here. And I'm not even giving her justice because she said it in her Texas twangy voice. Y'all need to give for kingdom work here, amen? And, and I'm in the back going, yeah, Tammy, you go, girl. But you know what? We are building our ministry on the history of a church that's made a tremendous impact in this community. Somebody else say amen to that. This week, if you remember when we first organized a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, we talked about a designated missions fund to help other like-minded ministries. I want to share a blessing with you. Christina, do you have that picture I sent you? <laughs> yes. There's a picture up here. Something happened this week on Wednesday night. That might not seem significant to you, but it's going to be significant when I tell you the story. This guy here on the bottom of the picture with um, the big spiky thing on top of his hair, that name, his, his name is Randy Moore. Randy pastors Revolution Church. Some of you may have heard of this church, Revolution Church up in McKinney. Came here five years ago from Ohio to plant a church, him and his wife. Great guy, super. Do you ever talk to somebody? It's kind of like you, Tammy. That's super energetic. You don't get three words in edgewise. And at the end of the conversation, you're almost tired. You know what I mean? Like, man, I'm really worn out from listening to that guy talk for the last 10 minutes. Because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm tired now. That's Randy. He is just a ball of, a ball of energy. He came in, and, and one of our elders, Richard, was with me. And he came in in our church because of the generous giving of Canyon Creek Baptist Church for over 40 years. Was able to help him help their church to put a down payment on a building. They're doing six services right now up in McKinney in a little storefront, and they're, gonna, they're, they, they, they're in the process of buying a 30,000-square-foot building. And they were able to do that because people gave generously to Canyon Creek Baptist Church for over 40 years. We were able to represent that, and that's a check that's on the table right there, and to help them with their down payment. And we prayed over that. Randy was crying. He said, I just can't believe what the Lord's doing. I just said, Randy, you know, talked to him later that night. He said, the Bible says in the book of James, every good and perfect gift comes where? It comes from above. And that was a blessing to be. And we're going to, we have, we have 
additional opportunities, and we're going to continue to do that. And you know what? God's going to bless our church for that. But listen, that blessing is not just our generational blessing. Oh, guess what we did? No, listen. That even goes beyond, guess what the people did that were here for 40-some years. That's all from God. See, when this man stopped, maybe, doesn't say this in the story, when this Samaritan stopped, maybe somebody helped him. Maybe he had an example of somebody who gave him mercy at one time or another in his life. Maybe he had a mom or dad that just said, listen, if you see somebody that need help, you stop them. My dad said this to me all the time when I got married. He said, Eddie, I'm going to tell you two things. If you ever hurt your wife, I'm going to kill you. I said, yes, sir. My, my dad, before I told you this, six foot eight, and my dad is super, super pumped right now because for the first time in 30 years, he's under 400 pounds. He's 397 pounds. He's pumped about it. He said, man, I'm 397. I'm going to be running a marathon soon. I mean, he just thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. He said, don't you ever put a hand on her. I'll kill you. Yes, sir. Second thing, if you ever see a lady on the side of the road changing a tire, you better stop and help her because that could be your wife. Yes, sir. I'll do that. That's in my head to do that. Maybe the Samaritan had a mom or a dad like that. We don't know. We can't go back and exact the, the history of this Samaritan. But you know what the Samaritan did? He knew the price. He knew if he got off of his donkey, it wasn't. He knew that he was going to be there. This guy's bleeding to death, probably unconscious. He sees him there. He has a decision to make. I wonder how much this is going to cost me. He knew the price and he paid it. Here's the third thing. He's the one that didn't talk himself out of it. I wonder if, doesn't say, I just wonder if the priest was going by saying, oh, I wonder if I should stop, but I got mass in 30 minutes. Surely somebody else will stop by. There's a lot of people walking here, nothing. The Levite walks by. Oh, but the, you know, the law says if he's dead, I can't touch him. I've got a big birthday party for my daughter. If I have to spend seven days outside of the city because I'm unclean, I have to get cleansed again, that's going to mess up my whole family schedule. Somebody else will stop by and be able to help him. Whatever the reasons were, the two religious guys didn't do it. But the guy that did stop, he was the one who didn't talk himself out of it. Here's what's significant about that. I wonder how many times you and I have talked ourselves out of helping somebody else that was in need. Because of human skepticism, right? I'm going to tell you a story in closing about a, about a very dear friend of mine. And you hear me talk about him all the time. Uh, his name is Anthony Miles. He's my mentor in ministry. He pastors Granite United Church up in Salem, New Hampshire. Anthony came to my father's store when I was working for my dad in the hoagie shop. For about a year, we grew up together. Uh, went to youth group together. He went to Bible college and went to ministry. I kind of He went right and I went left is basically what happened. He went down the road of serving the Lord. I went down the road of dumb. Does anybody else understand the road of dumb? Okay. Maybe I've passed you on that road before, okay? I lived on the road of dumb for a while. Anthony came to my dad's store three, four times a week to invite me to come to church. And I'd see him pull up in his red, it looked like a bullet minivan. It was a Chevrolet minivan. It was the ugliest thing you ever saw in your life. It was the, the Chevy Lumina minivan edition is what it was. It was horrible. So I'd see that minivan pull up, and I'd say, oh. And my dad would make fun. Guess who's getting invited to go to church today? Ha, 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 ha. You have to say no. Because my dad, he wasn't a believer either, and we just, you know, we would make fun of it. And Anthony would come in. He would order a roast beef, hoagie, provolone cheese with extra pickles and extra yellow mustard, nothing else. Still his favorite sandwich. 
hey, man, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, Kim and I, you know, we're, we got this going on. I got to work. I, and I would say this to him. And my dad was such a punk, right? I say that respectfully. This is what my dad would do. I'd say to Anthony, hey, Anthony would say, hey, can you come to church on Sunday? I'd say, ah, I got to work. My dad's making me work. My dad would go, you can have off to go to church. Oh, I'm going hypocrite. You're not going either, you know. Oh, well, we're going to, you know, for a year. And I'm not, I'm not saying a year because it was a long, it was a year. It was summer to summer. I'd come home and say to Kim, I saw Anthony again today. Ugh. Did he ask you to go to church? Yeah. Well, because she was going to church. I wasn't. You going to go? No, you know, we got, I did all that. I got church credits for days, man. I was in church from the time I was three till I was 18, three times a week when I wanted to or not. I've been there for, I've got enough church credits to get me by for another seven or eight years kind of a thing, right? That's why I, that's, what, that's how I justified myself. Well, I, I eventually came to church, gave my heart to Christ, and surrendered my life to him. When Anthony was a teenager, his dad owned a candy shop, was a candy distributor. And this preacher went to this candy distributor to buy candy for this big Halloween gig they were doing. The preacher, whose name was Ed Walls, invited Terry Milas to come to church. Terry Milas said, I think I'm going to come to church, but I, can, you, can you give me something so I can start to understand this Jesus story? He was Greek, uh, Greek by, um, by birth, and his wife was Italian. They were staunch, staunch Catholic. I mean, they were super-duper mega-Catholic. And I'm not disrespecting Catholic people. I'm just telling you that's what they were. That the afternoon, he went home, and he was compelled by the story that he heard by the preacher and watched Jerry Falwell in the old-time gospel hour. And that day, while watching TV, bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to be a Savior. Jerry Falwell sent him a Bible. Some of you guys may have had the old-time gospel hour Bible. It's a big, hard cover. cover look as big as a briefcase. Huge Bible. Old-time gospel hour. Got it sent to him in the mail. That Sunday, Terry brought his wife, who didn't want to go, his son, Anthony, and his son, Lisa, to church. And on that Sunday, Lisa, Anthony, and uh, Mrs. Milas asked Christ to be their Lord and Savior. Anthony later impacted me to be able to invite Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. Check this out. If Ed Walls never went to that candy shop and invited Terry to come to church, the domino effect of what's taken place because of that has been really cool. We've been able to be a part of some really neat ministries, seen a lot of kids saved, a lot of teenagers people in communities. I, I, I don't deserve to do what I do. I'm not better than anybody else that's in this room, but I'm sure glad I get to tell people about Jesus. If Ed never told Terry about Jesus, I would probably still be making hoagies for my dad today with another 100 pounds on my body, I promise you, because we would make hoagies like that. I want you to think about this for a second. The one who didn't talk himself out of it. That guy could have said no, right? And if he said no, of the three people, he would have been the one most justified to say no. He's my enemy. He knew he was a Jew looking at him. They looked different. They talked different. He probably dressed a little bit different than the Samaritans did. He could have said no. But even when he thought about the price, even when he thought about all these things, this compelling story, the, 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 the concluding idea of this is which of these three, he was the one that saw the need and met it. He was the one who knew the price and paid it. 
And he was the one that didn't talk himself out of it. So let me ask you this question. Who's the good neighbor? Right? Obviously, it's a Samaritan. Here's what Jesus says. You do the same thing. That's how you inherit eternal life, right? And here's what he's saying. You don't have to live just a normal life, taking care of your bills, taking care of your house, taking care of your business, taking care of your kids. Nothing wrong with, listen, there's some mom and dads in this room that are hero status just for what they do for their kids every day. But check this out. You can be a hero because of what Jesus said here by being the one who sees a need and meets it. We have teenagers going to camp in a couple weeks. Probably 10 need help, maybe more, right? Is that, is that close? Okay. You can be a hero and see a need that Gary and Tara are going to present to us and help send a kid to camp. You might not think that's a big deal, but a kid that can't afford it, that can go, that will hear about Jesus, that could change the trajectory of their life for all of eternity because you saw a need and met it. You can be the one who knows a price and pays it. You have camp, okay, well, how can, how can, and this isn't about raising money for camp. Please don't misunderstand me. Listen, we're, we're going to be able to give, and I'm going to talk to the church about this in a couple weeks. We're going to be able to give of the fruits of Canyon Creek Baptist Church into the lives of ministries all over Collin County, all over Texas, all over the United States, and all over the world. That rocks. But here's the question. Is that going to stop with us? Or are we going to, are we going to give so we can do more, you know, for the future? Will you be the one who knows the price and pays it? And will you be the one that doesn't talk yourself out of it? Well, I can't because of this. I can't because of that. I can't go. I can't give. I can't do I can't do this, I can't. We, we always, because you know what we do? When we limit ourselves, and listen, we all know our limitations. I know what I can't do. I can't move furniture as good as my wife does. That's humbling, because she's tiny, and I'm extremely large. It's humbling, right? But I also understand this. If I don't do it, what if, what if it never happens? What if I'm the only person who that need was exposed to? What if I'm the only person that can change that person's life? What if, now this is the scary part, okay? What if this was an appointment ordained by God in eternity past for you to impact this girl, this boy, this missionary, this family's life? You can be a hero. How do you do it? Go and do likewise. Let's pray.